It's Thursday, September the 20th. Today we're going to talk about a tragic death. And I am sick of people telling me I have to agree with them or I'm a bad Christian. And I'm going to tell you my story, since most of you and I have never met, and you probably have no idea who I am. In 1973, in Queens, New York, a baby boy was born. He was named Ari, which is Hebrew for lion. Ari was born into a Jewish family. His grandfather had moved to New York after World War II. He had survived being held prisoner in a Holocaust concentration camp. Ari, as a child, went to school in Riverdale. He attended Saar Academy, and his dad was the principal. Ari and his brothers had a great childhood. They were raised to be good Jewish boys. They were also raised to love Israel. Ari and his family were Zionists. This week, my daughter asked, what is a Zionist? And I told her it's a person who believes that the Jews have the right to live in Israel. And her reply was, oh, so we're Zionists. Well, basically, everyone who isn't racist against Jews is a Zionist. That's pretty clear. Yes, I am a Zionist. And yes, it's anti-Semitic and racist to believe that Jews don't have the right to live in the land they have lived in for over 4,000 years. Ari was raised to believe this as well. He had a love for Israel. In 1994, Ari moved to the land he loved, Israel. He was an American Israeli. He would keep his dual citizenship. In Israel, Ari met Miriam. They actually shared a birthday. They were born only 12 hours apart. They fell in love and they married. Soon after, they had their first child. And a year later, they had their second, Naomi. Four years later, they had another child. And then in 2006, their baby, Nathan, was born. During those years, Ari got his black belt in karate. It was the same year that Ari was called to enter the Israeli army. Every citizen of Israel must fight in the army. And you might think this is a bad thing, but when Ari got his draft letter in the mail, a smile came across his face. Fighting for his country is what he was born to do. Ari knew that Miriam would be concerned. I mean, they had four little kids and one was a brand new baby. But Ari told Miriam he was going to be stationed in France. There would be no fighting and nothing to worry about. Ari, however, was stationed at the Lebanese border. He had only 12 hours to say goodbye to his family. The Israeli Hezbollah war took place over 34 days in July and August of 2006. On July 12, 2006, Hezbollah fired rockets into the Israeli town that bordered on Lebanon. The rockets, though, were a diversion. Hezbollah then fired rockets at two armed Humvees that were patrolling on the Israeli side of the border. Three soldiers were killed. In the attack, two Israeli soldiers were taken as hostage. Israeli soldiers then tried to get their friends back, but they were killed in the attempt. Five of the soldiers trying to free their friends were murdered. 
it was clear that Hezbollah had declared war on Israel. Israel then attacked back. Ari was part of the forces that attacked. On the first day, Ari had to walk seven kilometers over mountains while carrying his gear and a 100-pound guided missile. Imagine carrying a missile that weighed 100 pounds for seven kilometers over a mountain. During that time, he found himself in his first ever firefight. He was terrified. The next day, Ari and his troops went another 28 kilometers. They finally arrived at the Latino River. The soldiers, even in the middle of the war, had to stop and reflect on the beauty that surrounded them. They camped out in an apple orchard and they ate the fruit as food. Then they were attacked. Ari's commanding officers were killed. His fellow soldiers were wounded. Ari and the four of the other soldiers who had not been shot began grabbing bodies. They had to leave behind their protective gear in order to get the injured to a safe spot. Then they heard the whistling sound of missiles. They knew they were coming, but they didn't know where they would land. So they waited. The missiles landed in the spot where the injured had just been. Ari had saved their lives. Ari was hit by shrapnel. He knew if the shrapnel entered his bloodstream, he was dead. He took his vest off, and the shrapnel had gone all the way through his vest, but had stopped at his skin. There was no reason for it to have stopped. The shrapnel was large, and his vest was not strong enough to stop it. He knew at that moment God had stopped the shrapnel. The war continued until August 11th. Over 1,300 Lebanese people were killed. 165 Israelis were killed. Ari was not one of them. The reason so many Lebanese people were killed is that citizens were encouraged to not take cover when Israel announced they would be dropping missiles. Hezbollah also set up its rocket launchers and its military stockpiles in residential neighborhoods and near hospitals and schools. This way, when people died, they could use their bodies as propaganda images for the media. There was a lot of damage done to structures on both the Lebanese and Israeli side. One million Arabs and 300,000 Israelis were left without homes. The Lebanese government refused to disarm Hezbollah, which is the terrorist organization whose goal is to kill every Jew. Two years later, on July 16, 2008, the bodies of the two soldiers who had been taken hostage during the attack that started the war were returned. Their bodies. We still do not know how they died or what kind of torture they endured before their deaths. Ari returned from the war a different person. He hung the piece of shrapnel next to his front door. Every day, he would remember that God had saved him. Ari took a year off after the war. He took a year to study and read the Hebrew scriptures. Ari kept his journals from the war. One thing that he had written in his journal was this, I pray only that I won't die. I hope the fear subsides. After the year, Ari wanted to do something that mattered. His time in the Israeli defense changed him. He wanted to help other soldiers. He began teaching karate to both adults and children. He also wanted to speak out and give a truthful narrative about the people of Israel. Ari became the assistant director of Standing Together. This was a group that raised money for the families of IDF soldiers. 
This included a time that he paid to give soldiers the chance to go home for the holidays or to have their families come and visit them. Ari also started a Facebook page where he would explain why Israel had the right to the land. These videos were watched by thousands. I was one of those people watching. I found Ari's Facebook page when one of his videos were posted on a friend's page. I've grown up in a home that valued the Jewish people and the country of Israel. I grew up in a home that studied and read the Old Testament. Anyone who spends time studying the Old Testament has to see God's hand on the nation of Israel. I had just had an argument with someone who claimed to be a Christian, but believed in something called replacement theology. This theology is an anti-Semitic teaching that has brought racism and hate into our churches. This theology teaches that every promise God gave to the Jewish people was transferred to the church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Jews are no longer God's chosen people. We, the church, are God's chosen people. This is a wrong theology. You may have been taught this without even realizing it. One of my favorite verses is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. When you call me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. You will find this verse everywhere, and a lot of Christians quote it. And you can see from this verse God's character. And yes, as a Christian, God has a plan for you. And yes, if you search for him with all your heart, you will find him. But this verse is written for the Jewish people. It is a promise for the Jewish people. The reason I love this verse is this. God gave this verse to the land of Israel before Syria scattered the Israelites all over the Middle East and before Babylon captured Judah for 70 years. God knew the people were about to be punished for turning their backs on God. He was going to take his hand of protection off of the land of Israel, but he wanted them to know that he would never stop loving them and that his plans for them were not war, but peace and hope. Judah, where we get the name Jew from, returned to Israel after 70 years of captivity, and they have lived there ever since. Israelites that were scattered when Syria attacked didn't return until the 1940s. But God promised, and his promise was that he had a plan for them. And we're able to see just a glimpse of that plan today. God has said that he would listen to Israel when they came to him, called to him, prayed to him, searched for him. So I was beginning to see that the church had a problem with theology and that that bad theology was leading to anti-Semitism. During the war, the media was only covering the story and painting Israel as a monster because so many people were being killed. They were not showing the story that Israel was begging people to leave the areas that they were bombing. They were not showing that missiles and stockpiles were being stored in residential areas and that Israel had no choice but to bomb those areas. When I found Ari's videos, I was able to see firsthand what was happening. He was in Israel talking to people, showing life in Israel. His videos gave me a window into the world of the Jewish people living in Israel. He also talked about the Old Testament and the celebrations and customs of the Jewish people. 
These are the same traditions that Jesus would have taken part in when he was here on earth. I have learned about these when I studied Old Testament, but watching people practice these traditions was life-changing for me. The Old Testament came to life in a way it had never done before. Ari was celebrating one of those traditions last week. I didn't see it on Facebook. That's because Facebook shut down his page. People defending Israel and saying Israel has a right to exist is apparently hate speech. I did find a video on YouTube. Ari was sharing a passage where Moses preached to the people before he dies. He tells them he can't go on. He tells them he's not going to be allowed into the promised land. He tells them they can't rely on any one person. Only God. Only God can lead them. Joshua is going to take them into the promised land. But it is God that they must put their faith in, not in any one man. During this video, Ari is interrupted twice. Once because there's breaking news that a terrorist has tried to cross the border again, but that they were captured. He's interrupted a second time when his daughter is getting ready to leave the house and Ari stops to stand and pray a blessing over her before she leaves the house. After the video, Ari headed to the mall for some shopping. As he exited the mall, a 17-year-old was waiting for him. Kalal was a Palestinian. It was not abnormal for a Palestinian to be in this area because the Jewish people allow all races and all religions to live in Israel. This is different from all the surrounding countries that will not allow a Jewish person to even visit, let alone live in their countries. This mall was a place where people of all races and religions could shop freely. Kalal was not there to shop. He was there to kill. As Ari walked out of the mall, Kalal stabbed him in the back. Ari stumbled and Kalal began to run. He was running toward a woman and Ari could see he would kill her. Ari jumped up and began to chase Kalal, even jumping over a small wall. Ari shot Kalal, injuring him enough that the police were able to capture him. Ari then fell to the ground. The stab wound in his back had killed him. Ari left behind his wife and four children, the youngest just 12 years old. Ari told his family, if life is easy, you're living it wrong. Ari lived his life fighting for Israel. On Sunday, I was sitting in my room strolling through Facebook when I saw the news that Ari had been killed. I was shocked. It, it couldn't be true. I looked up on YouTube quickly and saw the videos of his friends and supporters and it was true. He'd been killed. He was probably the most famous, outspoken, pro-Israel YouTuber. Israel is in mourning. Palestine is celebrating. His killer's family will receive $1.7 million. In the Jewish tradition, Ari's funeral was only hours after his death. I watched it live. How do you miss a person you've never even met? But I do. I've always stood for Israel, but it was Ari's videos that made me passion, passionate about standing for Israel. In the description of this podcast, I'm going to post a link to the GoFundMe page for Ari's family. Just a few days before Ari's murder, Donald Trump announced that the USA would no longer contribute to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East. Why? Well, as it turns out, 
That money is not being spent helping refugees. That money goes to people like Kalal and his family. How do you think they get $1.7 million for these families? These terrorists are killing Jews weekly and they're getting paid millions of dollars. The UN is giving them money for this. If you're an American listening today, your tax dollars are no longer going to terrorists who are getting paid to kill Jews. However, if you're a Canadian listening, our tax dollars are, they are going to pay terrorists like Kalal, who killed Jews. Trump wasn't finished, however. He also closed the Palestinian Liberation Organization office in Washington after they were refusing to sit down and talk about peace with Israel. He closed the office, and they have to leave the country. But wait, there's more. The Assistant Secretary of Education for Civil Rights has decided that from now on, the Department of Education will look into all allegations of anti-Semitism in any United States educational institution. Now, are you thinking, weren't they already doing that? No, no, they were not. Because of something called the Palestinian exception. This meant that the one racism that was allowed to be taught in the school system was the hatred of Jews. And the one type of discrimination that was allowed was the discrimination of Jewish students because of Palestine. Now, if you're in Canada and you think America's crazy for having that, guess what? We have it also. Our public schools are allowed to teach anti-Jewish teaching and discrimination against Jewish students because Palestine. Donald Trump made these changes just days before Ari was murdered. And you know what? Th things like this, this is why I like Trump. There are a few reasons I like Trump and there's a few reasons I don't like him. But the top two reasons that I like Trump is his stance on abortion. He's against it and not afraid to say it. And his stance on Israel. He's for Israel and not afraid to say it. I am grateful that the American people voted Trump into office. Now, I get a lot of feedback on this stance. And if you want to argue with me about Trump, fine. There's reasons not to like him. I get that. But the game I refuse to play is this one. How can you call yourself a Christian and support Trump? Or you're a Christian hypocrite if you support Trump. Or the best one so far, you sold your soul to the devil if you support Trump. Can we please stop with the, you don't have the same political view as me, so you're not a good Christian speech. It's really annoying, it's old, it's tired, and it's stupid. When I said banning straws was dumb, because, you know, there are people with special needs that need them, and the ban would not do anything to solve the plastics in the ocean since... 90% of that plastic comes from just two continents, and we're not one of those. I was told straws kill turtles and dolphins. God made turtles and dolphins. How can I call myself a Christian and not care about God's creation? When I said, as a libertarian, I could not agree with the way our milk and cheese is controlled by the government, and I think we should all be free to start farms without paying tens of thousands to the government to buy the rights to own a farm. I was told my Christian brothers and sisters were chicken farmers and opening up the market would hurt them. How can I be a Christian and want something that would hurt a fellow Christian? For the record, I don't think God cares if you're for or against the way the Canadian government runs its milk, cheese, or chicken industry. 
I'm pretty certain you can be on either side of that issue and still be a good Christian. When I said I was against tariffs because they're just more taxes that I have to pay and the government takes so much of my money already and also I shouldn't be pressured by the government on how I spend my money, I was told how could I be a Christian and not understand that it's not my money, it's God's. All right, clearly, if I'm against tariffs, I can't be a good Christian. That's just stupid. Of course my money is God's, and he's given it to me and asked me to be a good steward of it, which means I'm going to say, government, stop taking all of my money and overtaxing me. Do you see a pattern here? I'm being told because I'm a capitalist, I can't be a Christian. And for the record, I don't worship capitalism. I use the brain God gave me, and I can see that socialism and capitalism has led to the death of hundreds of millions of people, people God made and loves. I can see that every country, every country that has embraced socialism has destroyed lives. So I use my brain to say, if that happens every time, maybe we should just stop doing it. And you know what? That doesn't make me a bad Christian. When I speak about my love for Israel, I'm told that I can't be a good Christian and love Israel. Although on this one topic, God's actually pretty clear. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That was God speaking to Abraham about the nation Israel he was about to build. And history has proven that this promise has been kept and is very true. Also, as a side note, the last person who told me I was a bad Christian because I supported Israel had a Nazi symbol tattooed on their forehead. So, dude, if you're listening today, not taking advice on Christianity from an actual Nazi. This week, a bunch of protesters were thrown out of the Ontario Parliament because they were causing a disturbance. So they decided to lay on the ground and kick their feet on the wall of the Parliament building, shouting, let me in. Literally, the exact thing my kids did when they were two years old. I definitely had some fun with this video on Twitter, pointing out that they look like toddlers having a tamper tantrum and this is why we have to train our children, people. I mean, come on. This wasn't just one person. This was a group of adults that all thought this was a good idea. But then I was told, and here's the exact words, you sure work hard at giving Christians a bad name. That was someone named Higi A.J. Lepri. This is someone who uses the word of a male sexual organ to describe Trump and is pretty active in speaking out against Ford. This person then went on to send me multiple messages of Bible verses. So on the plus side, I got her reading her Bible. So that's always good. So let's just stop with the, are you even a Christian thing? Guess what? Christians can have political views and we can have ideas. And we can even, guess what? Share those ideas. That being said, I feel like there's probably a lot of you who actually don't know who I am. When I started this podcast, 34 episodes ago. Yeah, we're on episode 34. So episode number one, I had four listeners and one was my husband and one was my dad. Now we're in episode 34 and I have over 400 and growing every week. So since a lot of you might not know who I am, I thought I would share it with you. My story is a story of three women. It starts with a young mom raising a five-year-old son on her own. Her name is Gail. It was New Year's Eve, 1976. Gail sat in a church service. She had just broken up with a man she'd been living with. It had been a difficult choice to make. 
Bob was a really good man, a hard worker, but Gail had given her life to Jesus and was following him, and Bob was an atheist. And Bob made it clear the relationship came down to Gail needing to choose Bob or Jesus. She chose Jesus. Already a single mom from a previous relationship, she knew life was going to be really hard on her own, but she had no idea it was about to get harder. Sitting in that service, she had a weird feeling. Could she be pregnant? About an hour away, another woman, Lois, was sitting in a church service. The 70s had not been an easy decade for her. A few years ago, she'd gone to the doctor knowing something was wrong, and she'd been told she had a growth that needed to be removed. It was only after the surgery that she found out she'd been pregnant, and the doctor had given her an abortion without her knowledge. As a young, newly married pastor's wife, this had been the most difficult thing she had ever gone through. A few years later, a young teen in the church approached them. She was pregnant, and she wanted Lois and her husband Neil to raise the baby. And now, on this New Year's Eve, she sat in the service, a mother of a five-year-old boy, but wanting another child so badly. Two women sitting in New Year's Eve services, both with five-year-old boys, one praying for a baby and one desperately hoping she was not pregnant. Gail didn't tell people she was pregnant. She held the secret as long as she could. But after a few months, it became obvious to everyone. A single mom living on her own, no relationship with the father. It seemed clear abortion was the easy way out. And people told Gail that she really needed to get an abortion. But Gail refused. A group of ladies from the church began to mentor Gail, and the idea of adoption came up. But there was concerns Gail had. This baby had a brother. How could she make this baby give up having a brother? Bob played the piano. How could she know for sure the baby would have music at home? Gail and Bob both owned pet stores, and would this baby be allowed to have pets? And what about a Christian home? With every concern, Gail gave that concern to God. In late August, Gail gave birth to her little girl and named her Faith. She was able to hold the baby for a while. Then it came time to give the baby to the social worker. Gail walked down the hall with Faith in her arms and gave it to the worker. She heard God say, I will take care of your child. Now I've given you my son. What are you going to do with him? Gail began a lifetime of sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone she knew. Lois and Neil were in their home when the phone rang. Neil answered it and returned shortly to ask, How would you like a baby girl? Lois was angry with him. How could he joke about this? This wasn't a joke. It wasn't a joke. They went to pick up their little girl. The girl was added to the family and met her five-year-old brother. He wasn't a fan right away. She was kind of a crier. In fact, the only thing that made her stop crying was the singing and piano playing of her new mother. And of course, there was always pets in the house. Every prayer that Gail had given to God, he had answered. I am that baby. A few months later, Lois found out she was pregnant. She'd been told she would never get pregnant, but there was complications. The doctor said if they continued with the pregnancy, my mom would die. And the baby would only have a 10% chance of survival. And if it did survive, it would be extremely handicapped. So here was the choice. Have an abortion 
or leave my dad, a single dad of a five-year-old, a newborn who cried all the time, and possibly a severely handicapped child. My parents stayed up all the way through the night praying for a miracle. The next day, the doctor returned to the hospital bed. They told him they would not have an abortion. The doctor did an ultrasound and could not believe what he saw. He just kept shaking his head he just kept shaking his head and saying, This does not happen. The problem had been fixed overnight. So I grew up in this home. I grew up in a pastor's home. I knew about Jesus as long as I had the ability to talk. At the age of five, I could say a Bible verse for every letter of the alphabet. I was at church every Sunday and evening. I was at church every Wednesday night as well. My parents read the Bible to me every night and prayed with me every night. I was covered in prayers. I can remember trying to zip up a coat and struggling. A man in the church came to help me, and while he was zipping up my coat, he asked me if I was a Christian. I remember thinking, is this guy nuts? Doesn't he know who I am? I don't actually remember how I answered him. I remember thinking, though, about the question, and I remember thinking, am I a Christian? It was one night in September, I was in my bed, wondering if I was a Christian, and slowly realizing that I was not. I called my mom to my bed and asked her if I was a Christian. I don't remember the conversation, but I do remember the calling in my heart. I do remember Jesus telling me to call on him. I do remember praying, and I remember the feeling of security that I had, that I had become part of God's family. I know the Holy Spirit came into me at that point because I can remember many times after that moment when the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I remember sitting in a tree and telling God I was going to serve him anywhere he wanted me to go. I remember telling God I would always speak his truth. That conversation in the tree that day was a promise God has reminded me of many times. I remember as a preteen lying in a snowy path in the woods and looking up into the trees that were filled with ice and being in awe of the beauty. I remember God telling me if he could make all this, I could trust him. I remember telling God I would trust him, even if life didn't make sense. I remember sitting on top of a large boulder and talking to God. I remember telling him I would take the Bible seriously and I would always study it. I remember sitting in a snowbank and telling God, now that I'm a teenager and I understand more than I did at age five, I want you to know I still choose you. I remember in college when I was feeling lost in my faith and sitting by a pond and feeling the presence of God around me. I remember being hurt by the church so much that the thought of going back to any church was terrifying, but trusting God and doing what he asked me to do, even when it made no sense. I remember the first time I had to speak, not preach because I'm a good Baptist girl, so we'll call it speaking, not preaching. But I remember that first time and feeling the Holy Spirit overwhelm me with his power my life today everything i am goes back to the choice i made 36 years ago jesus promised never will i leave you never will i forsake you this has been true in my life i was only five but my life was changed forever there's a drive in my heart and in my soul there's a power that calms my fears and gives me hope god is everything and i can't explain it because It's something you have to experience to understand. There's just no words powerful enough to explain it. At the age of 24, I married my wonderful, very good-looking husband, Alex. 
That year, I registered to find my birth mom and connect with Gail. Gail had gotten married to a wonderful man and had two children and then adopted two little girls with fetal alcohol syndrome. They also would open their home to women living on the streets who are pregnant. Our families get along amazingly well. We had our first daughter a few years later, and then I got pregnant again. The first thing my doctor said was, don't get attached. There were problems, but I trusted God through the pregnancy. Because it was considered a risky birth, I was sent to a hospital in London. I didn't realize this, but my daughter Paris was born in the same hospital that I was born in. Both Gail and my mom were at the hospital and were able to see Paris shortly after her birth. There were many more family members waiting to see Paris in the family room, and I handed Paris to Gail and asked if she could carry her to the waiting room. I had no idea at the time what that meant. Gail carried Paris down the same hallway she had carried me to the family waiting room. Today I'm a mother of two biological daughters and two adopted daughters. So we have four girls aged 12, 13, 14, 15. I'm a pro-life speaker. My mission is to help people navigate the abortion conversations. My parents live in an apartment above my house and my older brother lives in a nearby town. And my younger brother, who by the way turned out to be a genius, lives down the road from us. Gail and her family stay very close to us. God is good. And when you choose life, you get what you choose. Life. I am that life. One of my favorite memories of growing up was one day we went to a man's house named Mr. Burnell. He was a banker in our town and he had a very cool camera. He had a Polaroid camera. Now for those of you who are younger here t- and so n- for those of you who are younger don't really get this, but back in the day when you took a picture, you had to fill up the whole roll of film, bring it to the store, leave it there for like a week and then pick it up before you could see what kind of a picture you took. So when Mr. Burnell told me he had a camera that you could see the picture right away, I thought that was awesome. So he took, he snapped the picture, and out came a slide. But it was all brown and blotchy. There was nothing there. I thought it didn't work. But Mr. Burnell told me, just wait and see. Little by little, the image started to appear until after a few minutes, the whole image was visible. Now, when did it become a picture? Once I could see the whole thing or Maybe once I could see enough to tell what it is. No, the moment Mr. Bunnell snapped the picture, my image was captured. It just took time to develop. That New Year's Eve, 41 years ago, Gail realized she was pregnant with me. But that is not when my life began. At the very moment of conception, my DNA was imprinted on me. The color of my hair and eyes, how tall I would be, the fact that I would be horrible at spelling but love the arts, my love for debating and history, and my very short attention span. Now, none of that was developed, but it was all captured. When people tried to convince Gail to have an abortion, they were not telling her to end a potential life, but to end a life with potential. That is why speaking about abortion is so important. Each of these moms and their little ones have the ability to impact the world. There is so much potential. I'm so thankful that my birth mom gave me the opportunity to live. September is the month that I celebrate a special birthday. 
not the day that I was born, but the day that I was born again. It was 35 years ago this month that I gave my life to God. Salvation is freedom, it's hope, it's love, and it's free. For us, it's free. But for God, it was the ultimate price. If you've not made that choice, please do it today. I'm going to end today with a short clip from a preacher named Paul Washer. At this moment, God commands all men to repent and believe that today is the day of salvation, that you are to flee from the wrath to come, to flee from the law of Moses that condemns you into the city of refuge who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Run to him. Repentance is simply giving up to stop fighting against God and to stop attempting to gain your own salvation through your own works, to literally give up and fall upon Christ. That is salvation. So that you say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And when that seed grows in you to the point where you know that you're standing before God is 100 absolutely percent based and founded upon the perfect work and merit of Jesus Christ, then you stand before him with confidence, knowing that all your sins have been atoned for and that you are righteous in Christ. Come to him.